Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you. Welcome to this week's podcast. We're talking about the very first part of John chapter 3 this week. It's a really well-known section of the Gospel of John. It uh, includes the nighttime meeting and conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And um, this week and next week are going to be really interesting because you know what happens when you have these texts that are so well-known, we all think we know what it's talking about. Um, But oftentimes when it becomes so well-known, we overlook some of the nuances of it or the deeper meaning. And so we're going to delve into when Jesus is talking with uh, Nicodemus, he tells him that we need to be born anew or born from above. Well, what the heck does that mean? And so we're going to get into that. And then he talks about the spirit where it blows where it will. Um, And so we're going to unpack some of this stuff for, for you this Sunday. And then next, next week, we're going to be talking about the extended conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus about um, where we get John 3.16. And that's another really well-known one. So it's going to be a one-two punch here with Nicodemus this week. So blessings to you, and I hope you enjoy this. Would you join your hearts with me in a prayer for God's illumination? God of blessing, help us to carry out the vows that we make, to adore you with our whole hearts, to live in mutual support of one another, to love as if your reign had fully come. Lord, anoint us with your Holy Spirit as we hear your word proclaimed on this day. Fill us with your truth so that we can walk in your glory, walk in your path, and enter into your realm on this day and every day. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're in the third chapter now of the Gospel of John, and this is where Nicodemus makes his big entrance. He'll show up two more times in the Gospel of John. And I was originally going to do the first 21 verses together, but it was just just too much. There's too much that's going on here. And in particular, because this part of the third chapter of John's Gospel has gotten so wrapped up into our culture, I wanted to take our time and really kind of tease it apart. I think it needs a little bit of extra attention. And uh, kind of to keep in mind, as we make our way down in the next couple of weeks into the fourth chapter, I want, we're going to make a juxtaposition between how Jesus interacts and talks with Nicodemus here, an insider, right? One of the religious elite. And then in chapter four, Jesus is going to have another one-on-one conversation with an outsider, with a Samaritan woman. And we're going to see how those two line up and compare. So that's a little foreshadow of something to come. But first, let me set up what's going on for us here. Okay, um, 
In John's gospel, there's this back and forth between Galilee, which is up north, and Jerusalem, which is down south. And Jesus, in John's gospel, is making his way back and forth several times. Well, in John, uh, Jesus is also making his way between two other poles, between the personal and between the public, right? So uh, there's this intimate gathering at a family wedding in Cana. And then he's down in Jerusalem at the temple at Passover. It doesn't get any more public than that. And then now we find him in a one-on-one nighttime conversation. And in the verses immediately preceding chapter 3, we heard about Jesus, if you remember, cleansing the temple. Jesus was inviting us to recognize that the temple was the place where God's presence was supposed to dwell most fully. That the temple was actually a signpost. It pointed to the reality. And that people had gotten confused. They had confused the signpost with the thing itself. And Jesus said, what the temple was pointing to, I'm that thing. I am the reality. I'm the place where God's presence dwells most fully. And I remember I I kind of drew that comparison in this transition from looking at the thing that's pointing to the thing itself as that transition between the first half of life into the second half of life. Well, this week, we've got almost the same message. Only instead of on the institutional public level of the temple, it's on the private and the personal level. Instead of inviting Judaism to be transformed, he's inviting a person to be transformed. And we see this image, this metaphor of transformation happening all over. Remember the first thing Jesus did, the first sign that he performed in John's gospel was the transformation of water into wine. And today we see that transformation invitation being extended into Nicodemus's life. Be transformed into a new life. And I want you to remember too, we're still in Jerusalem. It's still Passover. That's the context within which all this is going on. And remember, Passover was the celebration of the Exodus. Exodus, also being a book of the Bible, was the story of God liberating his people, letting them go from slavery into new life. And this is important, and we're going to come back to that, so just hold it in mind. They're in Jerusalem celebrating Passover, the Exodus. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Nick. Nick's a real guy. He's got his positives. He's got his negatives. He's got his ups and his downs. He's kind of like David that way. And he's a real person. On the positive side, Nicodemus is a leader. He's uh, one of the head Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. He's somebody who's out looking to do the right things, follow the God of his ancestors. And he seeks out Jesus. He goes to him albeit it's under night, but he goes to him and he calls him rabbi, teacher. He says, we know, we, that's a plural, we, my people and I, we know that you're a teacher from God. And we know from John's gospel that to seek Jesus is the first thing that a disciple has to do. Seek after him. But then there's some other parts of Nicodemus, too. He's got a shadow side as well. You know, he comes under the cloak of night because he's a little embarrassed to come in broad daylight. 
And night's a metaphor in John's gospel. It's for separation from God, right? The world preferred darkness to light. And Nick, he's a little bit high on himself. He thinks he's pretty important, smart guy. He thinks he's sharp. Uh, And he's a little bit embarrassed when Jesus points out that this senior religious figure may have a couple of flaws in his thinking. Be like one of the kids here being like, you know, Pastor John, I think you were really off on this thing when you were talking. You know, it was like that kind of a, ooh, ooh, that one hurt. Nick assumes that he knows more than Jesus does about who Jesus is. You see, Nick's got some preconceived notions. He's got some categories within his mind about what's possible and what's impossible. And let's be honest, we all have preconceived notions, don't we? And we have categories when it comes to Jesus, the things that we were taught when we were young. I know I sure do. And I know that I have had my mind changed, that I have been transformed, that I've been humbled many times about what I thought I knew for sure when it comes to Jesus And I hope and I pray that I'm humble enough to allow God to continue that process of correcting me and shaping me and forming me as I grow and as I mature, that I'm not like white knuckle gripping onto what it is that I think I know and allow God's spirit to continue to shape and fold and form. So uh, Nick comes to Jesus and and he flatters him. Rabbi, you are certainly from God because nobody can do the things that you do. And Jesus gives him this great non sequitur. It's like he almost doesn't even listen to what he says, right? Rather than responding to him, he says, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above. You can almost see Nick being like, so I missed something there. Maybe he didn't understand my accent. I'm not sure. And, and so he responds to Jesus in his own misunderstanding, he's like, well, wait a minute, how, how can a grown man be born again? How, I mean, you got to go back in your mother's womb, I don't understand. And you can almost see Jesus being like, oh. right? And here is one of those really culturally familiar terms that I want to stop and I want to pull apart a little bit, right? Born again. You must be born again. Or, as I just read it, born again from above. Right? This has become kind of a slogan. It's like a badge of honor, a tool maybe to distinguish the insider from the outsider, the saved from the lost. It's become a catchphrase. And so let's take a minute here and tear it apart some. So this, this word, born again, in English, two words, or born anew, born from above, comes from a Greek word, anothen, which has the double meaning of born anew or born from above. It carries both of those. And a lot of people think when John used that specifically here to talk to Nick, that he meant both of those to be held in tension, in tandem, together, not to choose one or the other. And that's where Nicodemus's misunderstanding comes in. He puts primary born anew over born from above. Nick's imagination 
needs to be stretched a little bit. His categories need to be pushed out some to make some space. And that's why I like that translation, born anew from above. It's a little clunky, but I think it catches the meaning a little bit more. And this phrase has gotten a lot of play in American Christianity in particular. Right? Think of all the people who you've probably interacted with or known in your life. Maybe this has been you at some point in the past that make a really big deal about being born again. We even have that category, born again Christian. Well, there's a, there's a New Testament scholar uh, whose ironically first initials are NT, you know, like New Testament, uh, N.T. Wright, and he talks about he, this, this born again. He compares it to the experience of uh, being born again to having a birth certificate, right? We, we all have a birth, and we've all probably lost at some point a birth certificate and then tried to find it again. Um, and he says birth certificates are important. Yes, sometimes you, you need them, but they don't prove that your birth took place. You standing there is proof that you've been born. He says that the movement of born-again Christianity makes the mistake of thinking that that experience is the culmination and the center of the Christian life, what it means to be Christian, as if God's main job was to give people this warm, fuzzy feeling that they can hold on to. He compares that, holding on to that experience, to like somebody who frames their birth certificate and puts it up on the wall in their house and invites everybody who comes in to come take a look at their birth certificate. Look at how great it is. He says, what matters isn't that you can prove you were born. What matters is that you're alive now. What are you doing with your life? How are you living day by day, moment by moment? How are you showing evidence of your life's meaning and purpose. That's what matters. Not that you have proof that you've been born. So when Jesus talks with Nick about being born anew from above, don't think that we should spend all our time thinking about that moment of our spiritual birth as if that's what was really the only thing that matters. It is more important that we nurture and we feed the life we've been given then keep going over what happened at our birth. And as Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus, he gives him another set of images that kind of help interpret what this means to be born anew from above. And he tries to move Nick out of his confusion. He says, nobody can see, nobody can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit which the church from the very earliest times have said, well, uh, clearly that's baptism, right? Being born of water and spirit. John doesn't have that story, but in the other gospels, think when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and what descends on him, the spirit. Jesus is playing on this imagery of the womb that Nick brought up and he's tying baptism into it. Okay, baptism, remember, is not new to Christianity. This was a practice in Judaism. John had been doing it before Jesus ever came along. And it was a practice that Jews were doing to convert Gentiles into the faith. And now remember that part where I said they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, which is about Exodus. Okay? Baptism has Exodus written all over it. And you may have never connected this before. Think about it, though. 
going into the waters and coming out of the waters into new life on the other side. That's the story of the Exodus. That's what happens in baptism. And as God's people were led into the waters of the Red Sea on dry land, and then out of it the other side, God's spirit is there in the pillar of cloud and fire. It goes before them. It leads them through the wilderness. It shows up on Mount Sinai where their instruction for how to live this new life is given to them. And eventually God's spirit dwells in the tabernacle that they bring with them throughout the wilderness for the next 40 years. Remember they're in Jerusalem. They're celebrating the Passover where God's saving acts of the Exodus were lifted up. And Jesus says, you have to be born of water and the spirit. And now I don't know about you, but this really helped me. This enigmatic saying, what the heck is he talking about? Water and the spirit. He's talking about baptism as a transformative act, which creates a new Exodus people. You are people who have been led out of slavery through the waters into new life. That's what it means. And then Jesus uses another word to help Nick understand. Another word that has a double, uh, double meaning. He uses the image of the wind. The wind blows wherever it will, and you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And he's using this to explain how this new birth happens. Basically, he's saying, it's a mystery. Don't try to figure it out. And uh, the word that's used there in Greek is pneuma. And pneuma has a double meaning, just like its Hebrew counterpart, ruach. It means wind, but it also means spirit. It can also mean breath. The spirit that hovered over the formless void in the beginning was the ruach, in Greek, the pneuma. When God breathed life into that clay and dirt to make Adam, he breathed his ruach, his pneuma. When Jesus talks about the wind blowing where it will, he's talking about the ruach, the pneuma. And this image is apt because new birth from above It's a mystery beyond our knowledge and our control. You can't program it. You can't manufacture it. You can't VBS it. You can't Sunday school it. You can't play the organ well enough for the spirit to force to come down. I can't preach it. God's the one in control. God's spirit shows up where it will. And you can't alter call it as many times as you try. And so Nick responds to this. How how does this happen? Please help me. I'm lost. And these words of his kind of misunderstanding and resistance, they're the last thing that Nicodemus says in this interaction with Jesus. You see, Nick's a believer who's not entirely a believer, which is very much like the rest of us, isn't it? A believer who's not entirely a believer. It makes me think of that man who comes up to Jesus in Mark's gospel, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You want a, you want a phrase to put on your tombstone, there it is. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I should pray that 
15 times a day. And so this new life from above, this rebirth, this new exodus, moving through the waters, the following of God's spirit and wind, Jesus is saying it requires a break. It requires a death to the old, an ending, and a risky new journey of life. And so in that sense, rebirth really isn't all that different from birth in the first place. It's a risky journey out there, huh? This thing we call life. I know some folks are going on a new risky journey soon. And guess what? A lot of it's beyond our control. And so no wonder it has to come from above. And that's something that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And so this is kind of one of the things that I want to just leave us with because we have, I think, been culturally, uh, we've been enculturated to misunderstand. We've been conditioned to miss something. We have been taught that this is an exclusive statement. You have to be born anew from above of water and spirit means that you have to have a particular experience. You've got to be part of the club where actually it is an inclusive statement. You don't have to be born to the right family. The doors are wide open. Anybody gets to come in. All you have to do is be born of water and spirit. You feel how different that is? And interestingly, I think those who are prepared most to take the risk of new life, of going through the waters, are the ones who most can admit that they're in the dark in the first place. That they're in trouble. And the people that come to my mind most, anybody's ever been involved in a 12-step program. Anybody who's wrestled with addiction. Anybody who said, I'm out of control. I don't, I don't have it. I can't do it on my own. Right? If you've ever been to a, a meeting, AA or NA, They always start every meeting with an admission that I am powerless over this thing that is in control of me. In Christianity, we have a word for that. We call it possession. This thing possesses me. I don't possess it. And so I'm turning my life over to a higher power. And they say sobriety is going to require something other than my simply trying harder. These people have a head start on the spiritual journey. To be, give, to be given new life, this reorientation from above, perhaps making such statements, I am out of control, I don't know how to do it, I can't try harder, help me Lord. Perhaps this insight into our own blindness is actually the first sign of the rebirth. And so may we all have the courage to admit our own blindness, to see the nick in us. A believer who's not entirely a believer. Let's pray together. Lord, as we hear this so familiar story today. This story about a man thinking that he knows who Jesus is and what he's about who thinks he's got his life together, who thinks he's on the straight and narrow and being reoriented. Lord, may we see ourselves in Nicodemus. May we be open to being humbled, to hear 
how we are being called to new life, to be new Exodus people by Jesus and the Spirit. May we be open to your transformation within our lives. Turn our water into wine. Lord, we ask only that your Spirit blows in our lives. We'll try to make the conditions right, but we know it's up to you. And so, Lord, we trust. We put our trust in you on this day that you are active and at work through our prayer, through the scriptures, through your church, through our friends, through our family, in the quiet of our hearts, that you are slowly but surely transforming our lives. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Amen. Well, thank you for spending this time with us here at First Presbyterian Church. I hope that you are walking away with something to think about, with uh, some being built up in your faith, and that maybe you have a a new understanding of what's going on in uh, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this member of God's people who is having to unlearn and relearn, who's going through his own process of deconstructing and reconstructing his understanding of who God is. You can always catch up with us uh, here in person. If you're ever in Ogden, we're on 28th and Quincy. We worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You can check us out on our YouTube channel. Just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden in YouTube and you can see any of the services. You can watch the whole thing, participate with us in the liturgy. Um, the children's message, all that. So uh, thank you for being here, for spending time. And may you be blessed as you go out into your week and you carry the presence of the Lord with you.